What is up, fellow passengers? It's time for Rearview Movies, where we check out how our movies look in the rearview mirror. Some movies are crappier than others, but I guess we'll just have to see as we go. Here with my friend Trevor Kirkendall. I, as usual, am Scotty Williams. Uh, so, Trevor, which one are we going to talk about this week? So, first up, we have The Mummy Returns. Turns 20 years old this month. It was directed by Steven Sommers, and it opened on May 4th of 2001. Its opening weekend, it took in $68,139,000, which was good enough for the first place in the box office, and it would go on to gross $443 million worldwide. And how much did it cost to make? Well, it only cost not only it only cost $98 million to put together. You gotta wonder, though, how did it hold up? Because back in 2001, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes for this came in at 47%. Ooh. I mean, that's a rotten movie right that's there. That's decently rotten, yeah. But the audience was a little bit more divided on it. Um, they gave it a 63. The summary on Rotten Tomatoes actually says, In The Mummy Returns, the special effects are impressive, but the characters seem secondary to the computer-generated imagery. Well, 20 years later, nothing's changed because we still see that in about every Hollywood movie that comes out. Yeah, the, the verdict has very much flipped on it, where now it was, look at these great characters and these computer effects. Now it's like, hey, and all these computer effects, there's a person in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is, uh, this is now 20 years old. Um, do you, did you see this 20 years ago? Where were, when did you first see this movie? Uh, I very likely saw this movie somewhere uh, on, you know, on cable or somewhere like that. I don't think I went and saw this movie in theaters. Um, yeah, I just didn't uh, didn't see it in theaters. Probably did not. Uh, honestly, do not remember very well where I saw it, um, and I don't remember being all that impressed with it, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> but uh, honestly, the biggest selling point for this movie is, hey, it's Brendan Fraser. Yeah, <laughs> and then later on in the movie, hey, it's it's Rachel Vise or however you say your name. But uh, that that was really the biggest draw for me in the movie was the you know I, I was actually a big Brendan Fraser fan all the way back to Encino Man. Uh, that movie is far older than mm-hmm. twenty years, but um, that was where I was drawn to it. Well, you know you know something special about this movie. This marks the big screen debut of <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. Uh, all that more time for the millions and millions of the Rocks fans to watch him appear for about three minutes and then be absolutely car accidented with the scorpion yeah um so you did not like this when you first saw it did not i wasn't a huge fan of it i mean you know when you're when you're obviously in 2001 i was a certain age that i will not disclose which is younger than i am now uh but it was it was a lot of fun to watch the the special effects and stuff and you know, honestly, that was pretty much about it. You know, you watch it for cool effects. I think the trailer, just like for The Mummy, the trailer was really heavy on the special effects, like the, the big sandstorm trying to swallow the guy and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Trevor, man, how did you feel about this movie when you saw it? And when did you see it? Oh, I did not see it in the theaters either, I don't think. Um, I can't remember going to it, and usually I remember what I saw in the theaters. Um, I think I saw this um, maybe about a year or two after it came out. Um, in the uh, in the college dorms on HBO. That's how fancy we were. We had HBO in our dorms. What dorm were you in? I don't remember liking it when I first saw it. In fact, when I remember that this was the first movie The Rock was in, I had to think about it for a second because the only thing I remember was seeing him at the very end of the movie CGI'd into the body of a scorpion. Mm-hmm. That's all I remember of him being. I was like, oh, that's some big screen debut. But <laughs> there is a little bit at the beginning there. And by the way, these movies that we're going to talk about here are old. 
So you get one spoiler alert right at the beginning because, let's be honest, you've had 20 years to see it. So we, yeah. will, we will spoil all these movies. Um, yeah, we, we can't really spoil old. an industry secret for you. It's going to be hard to talk about a movie that's 20 years old as if you haven't seen it. So, yeah, at the end of the movie, the Scorpion King comes out and it's The Rock's head CGI'd onto it. But we'll get to that in a minute. So younger Trevor obviously felt a certain way about the about the Mummy Returns. How does older Trevor feel about the Mummy Returns? Well, I don't think I hate it as much. I still don't like it. I, I don't even I don't even understand what they were trying to go for here. It didn't add to any of the story that we saw from the first mm-hmm. movie. Well, when it comes to sequels, isn't there kind of a theory that with sequels, if they're going to be good, you've either got to tell a compelling story with the same characters or find a way to tell the same story with the same characters again? Well, you see that a lot, and I think that's kind of a a sellout way of doing it. Here, at least, I guess, you know, we got to give them a little bit of credit because they did try to take something a bit different, use a different story on it here, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it doesn't really add to the characters at all. I'm not they weren't really well fleshed out characters in the first one to begin with. Well, they don't have to be. I mean, again, uh, Brendan Fraser's character is Indiana Jones and Rachel Weisz's character is Indiana Jones's girl and Emotep is the bad guy. Yeah. And and I think that's where Ta-da. there's an issue too is, you know, at least with Indiana Jones, you get a new villain every time. Here we get the same one, so it's kind of like, well, we defeated him in the last one, but he's just going to come back anyway. I mean, so mm-hmm. they defeat him in this one. So is he going to come back? I'm sure there was a thought for a third one, but I don't think we ever got that. At least not like a theatrical version with Brendan Fraser again. No, I believe they followed it with the Scorpion King. They gave the rock his own movie. I oh, guess they right. had a feeling he might turn out to be pretty good for movies. Yeah, I don't know where they would get that idea from. Uh, just the fact that you can slap his name on pretty much any script or plot and he'll make it watchable. Yeah. I haven't seen a movie that The Rock has been in that I have said I should not have watched that movie. And again, you look at some of the movies he's been in, he's just... It's kind of funny now, it's one of the real cool things about rearview movies is you say, The Rock had a three-minute bit part as an ancient king, and now he's this massive Hollywood star who has grossed billions and billions of dollars in money and revenue. It's crazy. Well, I can think of one movie that The Rock was in that I really wish I didn't watch. Okay. The Mummy Returns. Fair. Fair point. But but my favorite thing here, and and you can really go to the IMDb page and, and, and see this play out, is that they really tried to make Brendan Fraser, the action star, happen. Because he did The Mummy two years prior, and then he did a couple other, you know, comedies that he's used to doing. And then he does this one, but what's he do next? Like, his career pretty much tanks after this. And I don't know if that's because of this movie, or if he was only starting to look for, you know, things in this same, you know, this same vein here, these Mm -hmm. action-type movies. Right. And the producers just weren't seeing it, because these movies are not very good. Four years later, after this movie comes out, he'll be in a movie that would win Best Picture of the Year in a very small support role. But I can't think of anything else that he's really been in that's been notable after this since this came out you know he was all in it through the 90s and then he does these movies and this is probably the biggest misstep in his career because after this Mm -hmm. you don't see him anymore well one of my other kind of uh guilty pleasures is these good bad movies and he was in a ton of those movies that i would call good bad movies 
Um, you know, Encino Man's one of them. Uh, Blast from the Past with Alicia Silverstone was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's a bad movie by all things considered. But Christopher Walken just not caring and being Christopher Walken on, you know, being a funny guy. He goes to first base because he must, son. That's Christopher Walken being himself, obviously. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, he was. And you're right. The career just kind of, uh, he didn't appear in as many things anymore. And there's a lot of reasons why those things happen, obviously, for, for various actors and various reasons. Um, which is kind of a really fun reason to even talk about the movies they were in and the impact they made. Because again, you, you look at the numbers here, um, $98 million was spent to make this movie and it made almost 450 mil. That's a crazy return on investment. And, and I want to qualify that by saying one of the perspectives that, that people will pick up on about me pretty quickly is I do hesitate to really dump on movies sometimes, um, only because, uh, I was actually a movie critic in college. I wrote for our college newspaper. But I go back and I read some of those articles and I'm like, God, what kind of stuck up pompous jerk is this guy that wrote these articles? Because I wrote some stuff, honestly, trying to be cute that really kind of dumped on the the people who made the movie because these movies are creations of of thousands of people working together to put a not even thousands, but, you know, hundreds of people working together to put a movie on. And, you know, who am I as this little punk college kid to, you know, for example, when I reviewed Running Scared, I said it was an awful movie because of all the language. <laughs> and I was, you know, I'm sitting there like, gosh, uh, how, no, how about I'll it? dump so, on it. I don't care because there are some basic things that, you know, I expect from a movie mm-hmm. and it's not, it's, it, it's not just was it entertaining of course that's a part of right. it but come on i mean you, you gotta actually have some sort of a, a story that makes sense in here and i mean this one doesn't make any sense to me like how much time has passed between the first two you know because they now all of a sudden they have this like 12 year old kid you know where did that come from were they even were they married in the first one or did they meet and fall in love and I believe it was very classic they, like classic 90s they met and fell in love over the course of some serial yeah. trauma like you know speed Looking for mummies must pay really well because their house in this movie <laughs> holy mackerel Yeah yeah like very they live large in a, house They live in a mansion mm-hmm. I mean and they're just you know, they, they dig up all this stuff and they're just hoarding it. They're not even selling it. So where's the money coming from? Yeah, that's right. They were very much like, they have to be good guys. So they have to like appreciate the artifacts and keep them in their proper place and time. But then they're going into ancient pyramids and just destroying everything with hammers yeah. and crowbars. And, you know, one of those funny things where you don't think about it. If you don't think yeah. about it, it makes more sense. But <laughs> All right. So 20 years on, you see this movie and has your opinion on it changed? Uh, honestly, no. Um, you know, now obviously there's some nostalgia value to it. We're not like, oh man, that's Brendan Fraser. Oh, dang, that's The Rock back when people were like, maybe he'll be in movies. And at the time he was still the people's champion, dropping elbows and rock bottom and everybody. And I was watching wrestling at the time. So obviously I knew about him before that. And the WWE made a pretty big deal about it. At the, at the end of the day, I don't think the movie is is, is all that rewatchable uh, because me and you both tried to sit down and rewatch this movie. And I watched it in two or three pieces, you know, between nights mm-hmm. of work. And... I just found myself kind of bored getting through it because it was like, you know, here's this fight scene. Okay, here's another fight scene. And, you know, oh, there's the guy from Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Cool. It's, it's that guy. And <laughs> so, no, not not very rewatchable for me. Um, honestly, I think the Rotten Tomatoes summary got it just right. Lots and lots of CGI kind of covering up for a pretty vanilla story. But again, at the end of the day, $400 million. 
and and that's my favorite part about the the Rotten Tomatoes summary is they say the special effects are impressive. The first shot of this movie is of a like a CGI like I don't know dog or something. <laughs> and it's awful. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying, "Oh, well, it was 2001. It's not 20 years. It's not going to look like the Avengers does now." It's, yeah, but still this was 10 years after we had such awesome visual effects in Terminator 2. It's like eight years after Jurassic Park. I mean, you can make this stuff. I don't understand why it was so... It's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And and The Rock at the end of the movie, when he comes out as that scorpion, is laughable. That was pretty like, bad. Yeah, that the look of the scorpion against everything else really took away your enjoyment. And that's what you don't want when you put a character out, especially their CGI. You don't want it to take away from your enjoyment of the character. You know, like, again, I... For recently, you go back to Avengers Endgame. You know, imagine if Thanos looked like Grimace, right? Every serious scene would be cut by, God, look at that face, right? But it was so well done that, you know, it just kind of blended and it was natural. But yeah, the, the, honestly, it didn't even matter that it was the rock anymore because of how poorly it translated. All right. So that's The Mummy Returns. Still terrible after all these years. All right. Next up, we're going to have another movie that, uh, <laughs> has a lot to live up to. Uh, we're going to take a look at Pearl Harbor. Oh my goodness. Pearl Harbor, a movie which shall live in infamy. So Pearl Harbor directed by the one, the only, the explosive talent that is Michael Bay released May 25th, 2001, uh, held number one at the box office for two weeks, brought in $75 million over the four-day weekend, the seventh highest grossing movie of 2001, and going down to the bottom line, goes on to make a worldwide gross of $449 million against a $140 million budget. So financially speaking, movie was a huge success. Was nominated for four Oscars, including original song, There You'll Be. Very ironic considering, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, sound, sound editing and visual effects. It actually won for sound editing. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes critics really skewered this movie. They gave it a 24, as in very rotten. Uh, the audience severely disagreed with the critics and gave it a 66. Um, rotten Tomatoes summary. Poor Harbor tries to be the Titanic of war movies, but it's just a tedious romance filled with laughably bad dialogue. The 40-minute action sequence is spectacular, though. I love that little qualifier at the end. It's like, this is awful, but these 40 minutes are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> them explosions, though. That, that should really be Michael Bay's tagline in the movies. Them yeah. explosions, though. Um, so, Trevor, uh, when you, where were you in your life when you first saw Pearl Harbor? So, um, I did see this in the theaters. It was probably... The first or second weekend after it opened, uh, I had a friend working at the theater, and he was actually working the ticket taker booth that day. And I go in there with a friend of mine, and what we're trying to do is let him just let us slide by and go into the theater. So we're standing there next to the ticket booth waiting for an opportunity, and the manager walks by and sees what we're trying to do. He throws us out. <laughs> I say, dude, can will you let us buy a ticket and go? And he goes, no, Bye. So <laughs> you, you got caught in the harbor. You got stuck, yeah. caught in the subnets. Yeah. So we, we hightail it across town to the other movie theater and get there just in time for the trailers to finish. So, 
Yeah, I saw this movie in the theater. Yeah, I paid for it, and I <laughs> I regret it. <laughs> so, and what about did you see this in did you see this in the theaters? Too, I did. Or? So, funny story. Around May of two thousand one, I was uh, obviously um, what May of two thousand one. That was my junior year of high school. Uh, I had actually just started taking or was taking a uh, Pearl Harbor to the Pacific online history class back when online distance classes were a lot different than they are now. But uh, I was taking those classes, and so the movie came on. It was pretty interesting because, as a result, for the previous class, I had had to watch Torah, 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 which is this older kind of retelling of, of, of Pearl Harbor. And I went to the theaters and watched it because, again, I was like, well, Pearl Harbor, that's interesting. I had become kind of a history, uh, history lover at the time. So I said, hey, let's, let's go see Pearl Harbor. Not to mention, as the Rotten Tomatoes summary points out, there were some really good visuals in the trailer that I was like, man, this might be exciting to watch. So, uh, so what did twenty what did twenty years ago Trevor think of this film? Oh man, I did not like this movie one bit. Even the even the the action sequences at the in the middle of the movie didn't do it for me. I mean, sure they're neat and they're cool, and you know we compare it to a movie you know The Mummy Returns, which we were just talking about, and the special effects are light years better already. So you know, fifty million dollars <laughs> better, in fact. The, yeah, but even with those. Fancy effects. I was just, I was bored in this movie. And your thoughts, sir? So I remember at the time, this is going to sound so nerdy and just prepare yourself for the nerddom. Oh boy. The movie was called Pearl Harbor. It was not called Crappy Romance and Pearl Harbor, which is what it really should have been called. And, and again, this is not to, to disrespect any of the actors who played in the roles in the film at all, but um, I was very captivated by the story of Pearl Harbor at first anyway. It's a captivating story. It's this Japanese masterminded attack that tries to break the back of the Pacific fleet and actually basically the equivalent of attempting to knock your bully out with a baseball bat to the head before he can stand up and fight you. Um, and I thought it was a great, it would be a great story all into its own without the need for any other story. But, you know, somebody clearly disagreed and said, oh no, there needs to be a romance involved in this as well. And by the way, it's not a standard Nicholas Sparks romance. It's a Jerry Springer romance. I mean, you know, again, the, some of it <laughs> sounded like it came straight out of Jerry Springer, right? Um, you know, Rotten Tomato says the dialogue was laughable. Well, I'm not really sure what authentic dialogue would be when you're attempting to figure out a situation where you're in love with and have had a relationship with your friend's girl because you thought your friend was dead and now your friend's alive again. I mean, I can't even explain that in a short fashion because it's that unique. <laughs> um, well, I can tell you one thing that you probably wouldn't have said. If somebody asked you what the heck's going on, I'm pretty sure you would never say, I think World War II just started. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, lots of, and, and there are lots of scenes in the movie that uh, we don't want to get too deep into history on movies and whether or not it's accurate. Again, we could have fun with Emotep and some of the cultural references from The Mummy Returns, and we could have some fun with, well, how was, you know, how was FDR portrayed by John Voight in this movie? Um, you know, how was the portrayal of the Japanese? Um so yeah, no, very very campy and very like oh exactly right yeah nailed it yeah I I don't want to get into too much of the uh, the the history and what's correct and what's not I mean anybody can go and look to see where the inaccuracies are because there's plenty of other like war movies out there yeah that you'll get veterans and current you know people that are serving that'll just say oh it's so inaccurate it's like well yeah if it was accurate it'd be boring and you guys know it. <laughs> 
you can't tell a compelling story without taking some liberties of the stuff that's there. So I won't sure. knock it for that, you know? Although I, it is a bit of a stretch for them to say, oh, they cut off our oil, let's bomb Pearl Harbor. That's not at all the reason. It's maybe a reason, but that's not at all what really led to that. But purely, you don't, purely you don't, strategic. You didn't go to this movie to, to get a history lesson. Correct, correct. You walk now, out saying... Oh man! Then we had a retaliation bombing raid on Tokyo, and the general actually went with them. Yeah, it's true because I saw it in the movie. Like, no, no, sorry. <laughs> well, it's funny. I actually had just learned about the Doolittle raid when all of that happened, so I did think it was pretty fun that they included it. Although, again, going back to the story of Pearl Harbor, what's the reason for showing the Doolittle raid other than been like we got them back? Which yeah, yeah. So well, the only reason to show it is so we can kill one of the two guys off. There you go. Actually, I mean, that, them off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really the only reason. It's like, oh, we need a, we need to have this soft, somber ending, but we also need to have some sort of a triumph to it too. As if people watching didn't know that the United States helped win World War Two. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, but we we ended up winning it. I mean. <laughs> So, right. Yeah. No. It's it's that that story doesn't need to be retold. We pretty well know how that ended. <laughs> yeah. I, parts of this are just laughably laughably bad. I mean, it's it's not even it's not even good. I mean, you think that part of the reason they did this is they were thinking that this would be a really cool disaster that we could show on screen, mm-hmm. but we need to have more mass appeal. So we need to take the Titanic route and create some kind of a of a romance that ends tragically because of the big, you know, the big disaster at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, but the, the weave job on the romance of, of Titanic versus the romance of Pearl Harbor, the weave job is far better in the romance of Titanic. You know, that story at least builds in and makes some sense. Hey, the ship's going down. These people have met each other. They really love each other. They got to figure out how to stay together. Pearl Harbor has none of that. Like it's well, and know. it's also just two in in Titanic. It's just two, you, and they come hey, from Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Opposite. Don't forget about Billy Zane. He was part of the Billy Zane is there to antagonize. He's not really in this love triangle. She doesn't even love him, as I think it's pretty obvious in the first couple scenes that they're together. You got these two that come from completely different backgrounds, so it's like they shouldn't even be together anyway. But here they shoehorn in two guys that are best friends in with a nurse that is also serving coincidentally every single same place that they are to begin with to the letter yes yeah. <laughs> you know it does, it's not that far fetched that a nurse would fall in love with a soldier mm-hmm. i'm sure it's happened and then of course he goes overseas and dies so we think and then the guy moves in on his girl and then they fall in love and surprise surprise he comes back oh but wait a minute he comes back the same day the telegram gets there that says, "Hey, I'm alive." Like they, they couldn't even inform the they couldn't even inform the general about the Pearl Harbor attack on time, but they nailed the timing on that. They didn't even there was no way he was just coming to Pearl Harbor. That's just where they decided to send him when they found that he'd been, you know, alive for the last 4 months or however long it was. And they just say you know, surprise! Here he is, and yeah, he but just shows. Can... And no one knew. No one knew. It's except the army knew. Um, we said a couple times in our discussions leading up to this that this was really two movies. Um, it was a 
decent historical recollection of Pearl Harbor that frankly as a former history teacher I would have shown my kids because it was a very good in my opinion visual retelling uh, some of the scenes in that are so visceral and real like the the battleship turning over and you got all those guys trapped inside and the really awful shot of all the hands coming through the you know coming through the hole and it's like gosh you know these mm-hmm. people are gonna these people are dying in there and that's Again, very real and very visceral and a great thing to really let this hit home for kids about how real this was and and what really happened. But then the other half of the movie is literally just kind of stitched in there. There's not even a lot of scenes where the stories intersect because they're kind of running parallel to each other. Um, It could be called a romance in Pearl Harbor. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that was my disappointment when I was even 20 years ago. I was like... Why do we have to do this? You know, imagine Leonidas on his way to fight the 300, uh, to, as, as one of the 300 Spartans going to fight the Persians. Imagine that he had discovered a long lost son on the way there and had to cope with fatherhood on the way to fight the Persians. That's kind of what it felt like. Is Pearl Harbor not conflict enough? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's a pretty darn good story on its own. Yeah. Um, but hey, side note, how many really good actors were in this movie? They're completely wasted in this movie. <laughs> I, there were so many good actors, man. Alec Baldwin was in it. And, and again, Ben Affleck has done some great stuff. He was in it. Um, you know, Kate Be- Beckinsale did really well in this movie. Uh, you know, and you had a lot of John Voight was in this movie. There were a lot of really good actors that had parts in this film. Well, and then you got Cuba Gooding Jr. who had like four lines. He was mm-hmm. completely wasted. I mean, like. <laughs> you got an Oscar-winning actor, and all you're gonna do is like give him a give him a knife and tell him to scream when it starts to rain bombs. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, he deserved more than that, right? And that's you know that's a that's a there were so many good actors in this movie. When you go back and watch it, there's Dan Aykroyd pretending to be this person right here who has a feeling, and he's gonna get told no by a million people. It's it's just funny how many actors they kind of put into this thing, but. Coming back to a central theme here, you got a movie released on Memorial Day. Trevor, you're you're a movie industry guy. A movie released on Memorial Day has to do what? Make money. And how would you have made money in 2001? Oh, I don't know. I might have put Shrek there instead. (laughs) You blow some stuff up. And who do you call when you need things blown up? Michael Bay. (laughs) You know, I... I wonder about some universe where Michael Bay is like sitting at home saying to himself, all I really want to do is be a good storytelling director. And these people typecast me on explosions and booms and special effects. (laughs) I always just kind of wonder, I I don't obviously read interviews with the guy personally. I just, he's become so typecast as like the boom guy. Well, and he doesn't even really go out of his way to try to distance himself from that. You know, he directed two Transformers movies and he goes and makes something small by his standards. And what's he do after that? He comes right back to do some more Transformer movies. Uh, well, uh, again, you know, a coach's job is to win, and he doesn't have to be friends with everybody, and a director's job isn't necessarily to um, to be Steven Spielberg, but you take some money the studio gives you and turn it into four times as much money. That's a good director, by the way. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think Michael Bay's sitting there in his mansion at night going, oh, I wish I could tell a indie drama with compelling characters and... You know, I don't. This this is his wheelhouse, and he's good at it. I mean, he can blow stuff up, and that's fine. I mean, the forty minute action sequence yeah, is is pretty cool. Um, it's a shame it takes an hour and a half to get there, <laughs> and it's a shame it's forty minutes, 
And it's a shame after that. We still have an hour to go. Right. Very, very long movie. A lot of stuff in it could have been pulled out. But So we're kind of getting to this point. But uh, in the rearview mirror, how does Pearl Harbor look to you now? Oh, it's it's just as bad. There, it's It's no better than it was 20 years ago. It hasn't held up. The effects maybe are still adequate by today's standards, but um, yeah, it, it's not. A, it, it's terrible. This movie was. It may not have gotten too many Oscar nominations, but it definitely got a lot of the Golden Raspberry nominations. <laughs> Worst Picture of the Year nominee. And and uh, Scotty, you tell me how you feel about this movie twenty years on. Probably much the same. The the story, the romance still feels very shoehorned in to what is, like I said, a passable, very good historical retelling. You could edit that movie down into a very good 40-minute movie about Pearl Harbor. And some of the detail they went into, it's clear that they did consult for some accuracy. There's lots of movies based on historical events that play so fast and loose with the details. But there's a lot of details in Pearl Harbor that that are painstakingly gotten right. And so because of that... It's still a it's still good to watch for that reason if you can edit out the romance. <laughs> well, that'll do it for our first episode of Rearview Movies. Um, come back next week. We'll talk about a couple more. We'll dust off our really good Mike Myers impressions and talk about the guy who played one of the best villains in movie history, but well before he played one of the best villains in movie history. Until then, folks, keep on driving and see how good everything looks in the rearview mirror.